Welcome to Sunstorm, where we get real about what's happening in the world and what we are doing about it, because we are the light in the storm. Hi, I'm Ai-jen Poop. And I'm Alicia Garza. And we are super excited today because one of our closest homies is joining us on the show. Marisa Franco. Marisa is the co-founder and director of Mi Gente, which is a hub for Latinx and Chicanx organizing and movement building. She's mobilizing voters. She's stopping deportations. She's doing all the important work. Hi, Marisa. Hey, y'all. Good morning. All right. So, Abvi, we need to have the dispatch. Give us the real news from Arizona. How are things going there? How are people feeling? How are people getting through 2020? What's going on with the pandemic? I mean, I don't think Arizona ever closed. So <laughs> break it all down for us. What's going on? It was so weird because there was that point where you would see the news and it was like Phoenix was like on fire and the pandemic map is like number one in the world. <laughs> you're just like people are cold kicking it. I like rolling around on my bike. There definitely was death, particularly, I think, in Native communities. I mean, a lot of what you saw across the country. But I think it's not densely populated. It's so spread out. And so I do think it felt differently, even with, you know, more red state kind of closure, mm -hmm. not not close, not close, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's been like everywhere else. I mean, it's been a shit show and it's been an unnecessary shit show. And then um, in terms of, you mean, like, also, like, election stuff? Yeah. How yeah, give going? it to us. I have a good feeling about Arizona. The demographic change in the state is undeniable, and you've had sustained efforts organizing and building. So there's there's just been an ecosystem of groups that have been built over the years. They've had several cycles under their belt. And so the pandemic was a huge hit. And that's the only thing that makes me nervous is that it'll affect turnout or it'll affect the actual process of voting. I don't know that there's one, you know, uniform message that works with people, but I think explaining to people what's at stake, oh, um, what yeah. are the impacts and, and being able to speak to that from folks' interests is really important. Mm -hmm. I think just following up on that, the idea that we have to do more, I think the whole spirit of this season of our pod is really about that. And I've heard you say in other interviews that it's that we all just got to make a play right now, right? This is our moment to make a play. And the theme of this season is finding your lane, basically helping people figure out what it looks like to make a play. Do you have any advice for people who are trying to figure out their lane what do you say to folks who want to know what it looks like to find a lane and do more? I think that there's an aspect where everybody's an organizer and everybody's an expert in how to relate to people. So think about it like you're throwing a party. It's, it's, the, it's the Rona. You can't throw parties. So think about it that way. To me, what it is, is like, think of a list of family, friends, folks you went to school with, coworkers. It's just people who have had an opinion and probably have no idea that that how to help or what kind of help is needed. Catch up with them and ask them, are you registered to vote? Do you have a vote plan? Like that. And then I guarantee you, like we did this on a call the other day and people generated like in two minutes between a group of people who had like 150 people. Everybody took, you know, and it's people, you know, it's people you like, you don't have to be awkward and talk to strangers. It's just calling people because what's happening is like, 
I think that people don't always understand what it means to volunteer, what it looks like to help, or they think, well, it's just me. It's not that big of a deal, right? But you have to think about it multiplied. And I think that to me is a thing for folks who want to get in is like, be a multiplier, multiply yourself. It's really easy. And it doesn't have to be strangers. It can literally be your own community. So sister-in-law cuts hair. And so she has the gift of gab. So she's like, got all her family. She'll go to birthday parties and she's just red. She literally shows up with voter registration forms. Mm. So that's what people can do. So good. Integrate it into your life as it is. People are busy. I know people have all kinds of things, but if you integrate it in what you're already doing, I think that's the easiest way for people to do it. And voting at the end of the day is the most mass political act that people in this country take. And so this is where I think it's like the easiest way for people to understand what to do. And I think like really kind of making it simple for people and and doing what you already know and just integrating it is is the most, I think, accessible way to do it. Love that. Well, speaking of how other people can find their lane, talk to us a little bit about how you see what your lane is in this moment, given all the work that you've been doing with Mijente and all of the organizing work you've been doing for I'm not going to age you, girl, but it's been a minute. So (laughs) So it's aging all of us. Yeah. Tell us, like, what do you see your lane as being right now? There was a point in my organizing time where I started to look around and I'm Chicana. I'm from, you know, Arizona originally. I've been able to live in a lot of different parts of the country and work on different, organize around different issues. Basically, like Latinos are, I think this 2020 are the the largest ethnic minority group. We didn't have the sufficient infrastructure at the local level and at the at the national federal level to be able to fight back or for people to even understand what was going on. So with mi gente, I think my lane is like actually because I've been able to live in different parts of the country and organize in a lot of different communities is to figure out, you know, what is the alchemy for building, building a political home, building an action hub where people can come, find connection, find purpose, find a lane and roll out. It's essentially, it's like, we need to build infrastructure. We need to build leadership and we need to have a a more robust vision for the purpose of not just for Latinos, but for the purpose of a broader movement that is, that is fighting for all people. But like for me, it was like, well, let, let, there's not a place where you can say like, this is kind of like a the training camp or the the place where like folks can come together. And because there's a lot of things to unpack in the Latino community. Um, it is a multiracial group. There is, you know, national, like there's all kinds of things. And it felt like, well, you can't build a political vehicle without campaigns. And so that's what campaigns is at the end of the day, like something we really focus on. And as you can imagine, a major thing we've been working on is immigration and deportation work and obviously these elections. But to me, I think I felt like it was, you know, a thing I could contribute is to offer, you know, what I know, what I've seen and and how I, the best way I can bring people together so that we can collectively do better. I love that. One of the things that that is so powerful about the way that you organize is that you speak lots of different languages. And I don't mean English and Spanish. I mean, you're able to interpret (laughs) across so many different communities. And, And it's true. You've lived all over the country and you grew up 
in Arizona and you've seen different cultures. And I think you even told me one time that you learned organizing through being a part of a sorority in college. (laughs) And so tell us a little bit about that, because I think we all are in a way in our own little bubbles. Like, what have you learned about translating across bubbles in our country? I think it's one of the greatest like like gifts I've had in my life is to be able to be in proximity and relationship and to be exposed to other communities. I think a lot about what feminist leadership is and what does it actually mean to be emotionally intelligent and what does it look like to have an embodied solidarity? And so for me, like, you know, going to new places, meeting new people, being challenged really has given me, yes, a tough skin, but it's also forced me, like, when I want to be my better self, to put myself in someone else's shoes and to actually really not feel like I'm experiencing everyone's experience, but to be able to put myself in their shoes and to relate as best I can. And so going to the Bay Area and really doing organizing probably more in Black communities than than anything. And I come from a, a, a barrio that's like, in general, there's not a high population of Black folks. And so I really, you know, whether it was public housing, whether it was different parts of the city, I really got to see people. So I was, you know, working in Skid Row, basically, in the Tenderloin. And I was learning about the way that our economic system throws people away and throws workers away when they no longer need them. And then, you know, going to New York and going into Central Park at 10 in the morning and realizing that these are the modern day factories because it's thousands of women, you know, who take care of children who get together and who are talking shop and and a lot of them Caribbean in particular, Caribbean, Asian, African women, Latin American women, and learning about different cultures. I mean, it's just such a gift. So it's about etiquette. It's about learning how, how to show respect. It's about being able to kind of open yourself up to learn and you hold your center and you can be a little porous and open, right? But you also know who you are. You know, it's not a buffet where you get to go experience everybody. You're also bringing yourself and where you come from and your people and how are you representing that? It's been one of my most joyful things. Like I feel like I'm a a better human for it. And so for me, that political exposure and that journey is is very much, has shaped me for who I am. That is literally your superpower. I mean, you have many superpowers, but that's one of them and you cultivated it. Right? We can cultivate superpowers. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yeah. So let me ask this because there's a lot going on. And if we were ever talking about being in a storm, we're like in the eye of it right now. <laughs> and it can be overwhelming. And I hear a lot of people, especially after the death of Justice Bader Ginsburg, I hear a lot of people being like, damn, I'm super overwhelmed. Tell us, when you feel overwhelmed, what are some things that you do to take care of yourself and like recenter yourself? Nature, Mm. like find a way to get into nature. Mm -hmm. I think it's incredibly important for our bodies and our brains and our spirits. So anywhere that's within reach. And so here it's a desert, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, And I think there's something fitting for me when I go to the desert that it's like, how does anything grow here? But yet, 
there's a lot of things going on in the desert. Yeah. And and I think also being in nature helps us understand that what time is. The daily life is yeah. like, oh, damn, what time is it? That's right. But you go into nature and it tells you time is a very different thing. Mm. And there, there was a before us and there will be an after us. I like that getting into nature and remembering that there was a before us and an after us. Mm. I agree. Let's switch gears a little bit because I want to talk about Mi Gente. I want to talk about the work that you all are doing. And in particular, I want to talk about tech and immigration. So just to give a little bit of context here, another thing that has been in the headlines most recently is the role that tech is playing in our political systems. And certainly, I think most people think about tech and they think about advancements and things that make our lives easier. But there's also a kind of sinister side of tech, especially as it relates to immigrant communities, not just in this country, but around the world. I'm wondering if you can talk to us a little bit. You all have done so much to hold big tech accountable for its role in the current immigration system. What concerns you most about the role that technology is playing in government right now? What concerns me most is it is it is moving at breakneck speed with absolutely no accountability or transparency. What concerns me most is that we could end up with a complete new form of state violence and state control that is more vast and more profound than we can even imagine right now. So for example, you remember where Airbnb started? Yep. <laughs> Uh There was no rules. Uh There was no rules. They're like, oh, it's just, you know, the sharing economy or whatever. You know, years go down and it's like they were basically like operating above any any real regulations that existed. Right. Because local governments hadn't really encountered that. Right. It grew, it grew, it grew. So then you have like the housing stock being depleted in communities because people are like, I'm just going to Airbnb. I don't want to I don't want tenants. Uh So they kind of operate in this this like above any kind of regulations. Mm -hmm. That's what's happening with respect to surveillance. And so it's one thing if it's like you're pissed and it's very bad that housing stock is being depleted. Mm -hmm. But these folks are literally in um, laboratories coming up with pretty significant ways to that that would obliterate any any vestige of privacy that we have. So with immigration, what's happening now is that they're using data and, and, and technology to supersize and like level up all of their work. So how they find people, where they live, what they're doing. When you think about like when people are doing investigations or searching or going to people's houses, like a lot of that stuff is out the door Mm -hmm. in, in, in this context. And so they're, they're using technology to supersize raids. So you've seen like the much larger raids, And, and in many ways, the border, the U.S.-Mexico border has been the laboratory, the laboratory for all things around surveillance, militarization. Right. So we want to talk about our domestic problem with police rolling around our streets looking like military. Uh-huh. That has been the case in the, in the U.S.-Mexico border region. The borderlands have suffered that for uh-huh. decades. And so it's important to know that what people are seeing in our most vulnerable communities, and they say, that's not me, that's going to happen to uh-huh. me. Guess what? It eventually comes uh-huh. to you. In particular with immigration, these tools, these practices, this lack of transparency, this impunity, absolutely. And that's and at the end of the day, that's the Pandora's box that's being opened, is that the rules, the regulations, the norms 
are are being eroded mm-hmm. and and it should be of great concern to all of mm-hmm. us. I think sometimes it's hard for people to get it, but I I really think about also the internet like online discourse and how nasty people are. It like reminds me, I don't know if I told y'all this, but like it makes me think of like when the Model T actually went to market. <laughs> and there was no roads. There's no street signs because people don't know that. They're riding horses, they're walking, you know. <laughs> mm. And then you have cars. Imagine how people drove. There was no rules. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. sometimes I think about people on the internet is like, you don't know how to drive. <laughs> But it's because there's not any rules. There's not any rules of the road. Mm. And so when you have literally new light and technology is changing, how we communicate, how we live our lives. Again, the fact that there is not only that government is weakened, Mm -hmm. but there is an antagonism for government to play that role of saying, you know what? Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Henry Ford, you build your Model T. Cool. We're going to have to do, we're going to have to create like some Mm -hmm. level of Rules and infrastructure. That's right. And in that in that moment, actually, car industry should have paid for the roads and freeways and all that. We ended up subsidizing that. It's just like to be able to compare and contrast, I think it gives you a sense of both like kind of what trouble we're in and what the threat is and kind of what it means. Like when you have literally a new industry emerge, but you can look at it all kinds. We're talking about surveillance or else it could get into a conversation about automation and what that's going to do to workers. Like it's of huge importance and leaving it to, mm-hmm. to them to be mm-hmm. ethical mm-hmm. is is not going to work. Mm-hmm. That's right. I love the Model T metaphor. I think it's actually perfect. I wanted to get mm-hmm. at the fact that mm-hmm. you're a mom. It's a really important part of your experience. And and we love your little. Our fave. Um, he's our fave. And wondering um, how becoming a mom has kind of shaped how you're orienting right now. You know, we're heading into the fall. This week we had the fall equinox. I find this time fascinating mm-hmm. and I find it fascinating because in indigenous cultures around the world, people understand the particularity of this time. So in my culture, we're coming up on Dia de los Muertos, right? But whether you're talking about, you know, the pagan roots of Halloween, <laughs> of what became Halloween, to Dia de los Muertos and all these different cultures, this time of year is the time of year where the veil between the living and the dead is most of in. And I believe that as a species, as a planet, we are entering into fall. And politically, we are in a time where the veil between the things we most desire and most dream of and the calamities we most fear, the veil between those two things is extremely thin. We are at the at the razor's okay. edge right now. And what we are able to seed in this time we will lead to spring eventually or a very, 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 very long winter. And so as a mother, you know, I thought that I was fearless. And being a mother has kind of made me fearful mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't understand because you are so responsible for another human. And then it it also made me fear less in a way that I didn't understand, that I couldn't comprehend. And and so when mm-hmm. I also think about um, this time, you know, I think of the work of mothering um, and, and how powerful that is. And if there was like one feeling, I feel like mm-hmm. if those of us that relate to that feeling, right? There's one feeling, it's that ferocious 
defense. Um, you know, moms sometimes like mothering care. These things are kind of seen as frilly, soft, oh, happy, go fuzzy. It's like, no, <laughs> no. When a mother is threatened, when they're young, their children are threatened, they will move mountains. And so for me, I feel a, a kinship. I feel like I'm part of some secret club of those people who mother. And I feel okay. very proud. I feel very called to bring that energy in this time. And I want to make sure that we let our listeners know what they can do about the things that are happening around them. So I know earlier in the conversation, you were giving some very, very practical tips. Um, but I want to just end with an action step. I mean, we're organizers, right? So we never end a conversation without making an ask. So um, in the spirit of having an organizing conversation, what's the number one ask that you would make of people who are listening to this pod right now about what needs to happen within the next less than 40 days? I would literally imagine, because if you're bored and you're really tired of the pandemic, imagine the most bomb ass party you mm -hmm. could throw and write your invite mm -hmm. list and take that invite list and call those people, connect with them because it's good for you to connect with them and talk to them about the election. And think about it from like, think about three basic steps you're gonna ask people. Are you registered? Do you have a plan to vote? Can you volunteer? Can you do what I'm doing? Not everybody. Some will be like, yeah, well, leave me alone. Fine. But there are going to be some people who want to do more. So then, you know, think of the party we'll do after Election Day, after the coronavirus goes away, and you'll be better prepared for that, too. I want to make the roof ceiling sweat. I baby, want to cause it. Can we please? Baby, <laughs> baby. You know, I got ins on that. I got ins on that. And I got a couple hours on the tables, too. You know what I'm saying? I got I got the soundtrack for that moment. <laughs> mm -hmm. I'll bring my dancing jumpsuit. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right. So thank you, Marisa Franco. It always warms our hearts to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And people can find you and follow your incredible work at Con Mi Gente on all the socials. And if you want to get even more engaged in the work we're all doing this fall, text SUNSTORM to 97779. We'll be sending regular updates on how you can take action on all the issues you care about. Don't forget to check out sunstormpod.com where we'll have additional information on Marisa and how you can get involved in all the good things that she's up to as well. Until next week. Ciao. Peace. Sunstorm is a project of the National Domestic Workers Alliance in collaboration with Participant. Sunstorm is executive produced by Alicia Garza, Ai-Jen Poo, and Christina Mevzapgar. Sunstorm is produced by Amy S. Choi and Rebecca Lehrer of the Mashup Americans. Producers are Shelby Sandlin, Mary Phillips Sandy, and Mia Warren. Original music composed by Jen Kwok and Jody Shelton. I had a, a roast earlier this year. The staff did 10 things they hate about me. And one of them was my mixed metaphors. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>